All right, Luke chapter 7. Jesus says this about himself. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. We're continuing this series entitled Love Where You Live. And today, we're gonna talk about the front line of the mission field, which is eating and drinking. It's not a bad mission field to be on, right? You know, Juneteenth is a uh, celebration of the end of slavery kind of unofficially and officially in Texas. Uh, we know that slavery was uh, ended with the Emancipation Proclamation, 1863, but really it didn't end for another two years. And particularly here in Texas, uh, it wasn't uh, until 1865, June 19th, that General Granger delivered the, the order. And suddenly, over a shorter course of time now, 250,000 people were freed from slavery. But that didn't end the challenge of racism, right? And very quickly, Jim Crow laws were enacted and segregation continued. And one of the many racist laws that was enforced was through the vehicle of a meal. White-only restaurants. Who can come to the table and who's excluded from the table? Brandon Clements and Dustin Willis in their book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, they say this about hospitality. Hospitality is a theology of recognition. Isn't that good? Hospitality is a theology of recognition. And as we go through the scriptures today, we're going to land in the communion table. And the communion table, if you know anything about early Christians, was called the agape meal. And what was so radical about this culture of this community that existed within the greater Roman, you know, Greco-Roman world, this subversive culture was that they were flattening all the, all the socioeconomic lines, all the racial lines, all the divides. And then we're welcoming everybody to the table to eat and to drink and to carry on the mission of recognition and reconciliation that Jesus came to bring. And in the way of Jesus, one of the simplest, most profound ways we share the gospel is actually not through intellectual arguments. Like there's enough TED Talks out there. It's not changing much. You ever listen to a TED Talk and you think, man, I, I feel much better about myself, but really you haven't done anything? You just feel a little bit smarter? but it's actually embodied presence. Embodied presence where we are invited in, where we are shown grace, where we are served, where, where we are shown solidarity with others. Where we invite in, where we show grace, where we serve, where we show solidarity with others around a dinner table. Jesus would do this to the extent that it earned him a reputation. And it was one that was 
of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now we know Jesus was a righteous man. He was not a drunkard and a glutton. But who he spent time with were sinners, tax collectors, the others, those on the outsides of society. And he invites in to the table. You know, we, we don't recognize this often as a missionary approach, right? As a missional approach. Um, because we tend to have a framework of what it means to be on the mission field. We have a heroic man or woman who goes out to some distant land and brings the information of the gospel message of justification and sanctification through the cross and saves all the people. But what if, what if being a missionary looked more like having dinner in your home? What if being a missionary wasn't about going to some foreign land to give the information of the kingdom to others, but actually about inviting in those in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community, those strangers, those others among you, that bringing them in and breaking bread and hosting them over a meal and serving them? What if that was the mission? What if the most, one of the most Jesus-like things that you can do one of the most radical expressions of your faith, one of the most pronounced ways that you can display the gospel message, recognition, reconciliation, grace, love, is simply around a dinner table. A quick sketch of hospitality in the Bible. One of the earliest acts of this idea of hospitality that we see in the Bible comes in Genesis 18, and it's with Abraham. So many of you guys know this story. It says this, and the Lord appeared to him Abram, at the, by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent to the door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, do not pass by your servant." Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring morsels of bread so that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said, do, do as you have said. And Abraham went and quickly in the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and to the, took a calf tender and good and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and, and the calf and he prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Hospitality could mean many different things to us today, but but hospitality in this culture, it literally meant life or death survival. Whether or not someone would host you on your travels. Abraham offers a meal and nourishment to these travelers. But what stands out is that somehow in welcoming the strangers, those who came to his door, Abraham comes to hear from and encounter God himself. This becomes a theme throughout scripture and in the ancient worldview. Joachim Jeremiah, who was a German Lutheran theologian, he wrote this. He said, 
In the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. Sharing a table meant sharing life. In Judaism in particular, table fellowship means fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shares in a meal brings out the fact that they all have a share in the blessing which the master of the house has spoken over the unbroken bread. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in the table fellowship is the most beautiful, meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. Luke chapter 19, as we move through the scriptures here, it says this, as Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house, right? And he enters into his house. Zacchaeus is this tax collector. He is a sinner. He is one of the people that earned Jesus the reputation he has. And he goes to his house and he breaks bread with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus repents in front of his friends. But today, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And listen to the language. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus comes to this house and dwells with Zacchaeus as God himself and declares salvation, liberation over his sin, echoing this meal from Genesis with Abraham. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells his, teach, his followers in verse 35, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you? hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus calls his followers to reimagine their hospitality, to reimagine their dinner table as they invite strangers, others, into their home, that there is an encounter with Jesus himself there. Like you may be hosting Bob from the office, but somehow Jesus says, you're hosting me. You may be inviting in someone who you don't get along with within this community to have a meal, but Jesus says somehow you're actually hosting me. Finally, Hebrews chapter 13. I love this. He simply says this. Don't forget. Don't forget, Christians. Don't forget followers of Jesus. Don't forget those who claim the promise of Abraham. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without, not, without knowing it. Isn't that beautiful? Look, I'm not the best uh, evangelist when it comes to cold contact evangelism. Like, I have shared my faith with a lot of strangers. I've invited a lot of strangers to church. I have gone out on campuses. I've gone into workplaces. I've gone out on, you know, food courts or shopping malls, and I have said, hey, would you like to come to church? And I've actually had very little results from that. 
A few people have come. Some have been baptized, but very few. I have had way more results by inviting people into my home. By having people over to my home to sit with me at a dinner table, to break bread. Sometimes we don't even talk about God, but there's something happening there. There's an invitation there. Somehow grace is being embodied in that place. Somehow what's being transmitted is you are welcomed here. You belong at the table. Rachel and I, when we first got married, uh, we decided, hey, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna be a hospitable couple. And when we first got married, we had a, I don't know, it's probably 600 square foot apartment. It was very small, bedroom, little galley kitchen, and a living room. And all we had in the living room was a coffee table. And most of our furniture was given to us or given to Rachel. I kind of moved into her place in that way. Um, and we, we would bring people into our home to have a meal with us. And they'd kind of quickly get it because they'd look around and there's no dinner table anywhere, right? And we'd go, hey, we're just going to sit on the floor. And we would give them the chairs and Rachel and I would sit on the floor and we would have a meal that way. And we did that over and over and over and over. And today we have a much bigger table. We have already four other dinner guests with us all the time. But we still invite people into our home as a regular practice. And God has moved and built so many incredible relationships. And we've seen so many people become a part of his kingdom through that simple practice. So we see here God is present in our practice of hospitality, right? God, he hosts and he's hosted by Abraham. Jesus hosts and he's hosted by strangers. Somehow in our practice of this, we host strangers too. And the author of Hebrews says you might even be hosting angels. God is present in our practice of hospitality. About half of the U.S. adults right now, people that you work with, just cut the office numbers in half. Half of them are eating alone on a regular basis throughout the week. At least half of their week is spent eating by themselves. And if we're honest, probably the other half is spent mostly eating with people they already know, right? Friends or family or whatever. What if our missional work here in Austin, here in the community, here in downtown or in Westlake or in South Austin or wherever you live, here in this community was to just invite people over to dinner? To be a missionary, to be missional in that way, to invite people in. This is a bit of a shift in a framework for us. I'm going to show us a couple of quick diagrams here to kind of help imagine this, reimagine this. We have this idea of the missionary and it looks something like this. The Father sends Jesus, and, the G and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sends the church. And then as a church, what we do is we send out missionaries. And then they go and do God's work in the world. Are you familiar with that model? What about a different model? What about a missional model? What about a model that might look a little bit more like the first century Christians? The Father sends Jesus, yes, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sends the church, and this church goes to do and to meet God who's already at work in the world. God's already up to something in the world. He's already doing something. Another way of looking at it is like this. We, we tend to see the church as a bit of the mediator between God and the world, right? 
The world's on this side, God's on that side, and the church, we need to go bring God to the world or bring the world to God. Another way of looking at it is like this. The world is out here and we're with God. Have you ever thought about it that way? Your missional work as a follower of Jesus, which we're all called to. But what if it looked more like this? God is up to something in the world. He's already at work in the world. The whole world is held in the community of God. And actually the church and the world meet together and with Jesus, there's reconciling work that happens. Does that make sense? That somehow our missionary work looks a little bit more like Peter and Cornelius, where Peter is up on a roof praying and suddenly some strangers come to him and say, hey, we've got something for you to do. Come with us. Okay. And he goes and he meets in the home. He's hosted by a stranger, a Roman, who invites him into his home and says, hey, Peter, God's been up to something in my life. Can you help me understand it? And then Peter and the disciples go, okay, God's working. This is his world. We're just here to to be a part of it. And they, they teach them, they baptize them, and then it says they stay with them for days. They display the community of Christ to them. What if that was our missionary work? Rather than cold contact sharing, and there's no, there's nothing wrong, lots, how many of you, how many of you guys were met by somebody, some stranger just walking up to you and inviting you to church? Many of us, right? And in our campus ministries, that's a really easy practice because you're seeing thousands of people all the time. You're passing by them all the time. But in, I think in our world here in Austin, in many ways, in the world that we live in today, the culture that we live in today, people are not looking for an intellectual argument. They already have a kind of strong feelings about what Christians are. But what about inviting them into a meal? What if God's up to something in their life? What if you and the world meet somewhere there in the dinner table and the reconciliation of Christ starts to happen? Can you imagine that? In the practice of hospitality, we participate in God's reconciling work in the world. Let me ask you this. Um, Jesus had a reputation, right? for who he would eat and drink with, the front line of his mission field. Who would you not be caught at dinner with? Like if there was a viral picture that got posted of you with somebody at dinner, who, and this is, who would be like just the dread of your life to be caught at dinner with? Don't answer it out loud, right? Just imagine it, please. Like, what if you saw a viral picture of Jesus online out to dinner with a white nationalist? Or, or what if you saw, you know, this, this, this Instagram post, this Twitter post go up of, of Jesus hosting a meal with a group of prostitutes? Or with maybe some cabinet members from an invading country? How would that rub you about Jesus? Who would you not be caught with at dinner? What if rather than trying to convince people who you think are wrong through posts and arguments and political ideologies, 
What if rather than trying to insult people into getting their act together, which is kind of a curious evangelistic tool, right? Let's just insult the people we're trying to help become Christians and hope they'll change. What if rather than doing that, perhaps the Christian missional work doesn't happen even here at a Sunday worship service? What if it's actually Christians that will attract people to Jesus? Not arguments, not worship services, but Christians that will actually attract people to Jesus. Where will they meet those Christians? Where will the world and Christ meet? Over a dinner table. This is what I want you to go away with as we prepare for communion. I just finished reading a book called Eat What Is Set Before You, which was really awesome for like overlapping with this sermon. I didn't plan it that way, but God just kind of threw me a bone there. And, and Scott Hagley, he puts it this way. He says, hospitality performs the gospel message. Hospitality performs the gospel message. We invite, we serve, we show grace, we sacrificed, we host. This is not entertaining. This is not, it's less Martha Stewart. It's more, you know, I don't know, you know, one of these monks, right? Like, it's, it's, it's not entertainment. We're not looking for, like, put out the spread and, and, you know, make everything shiny and beautiful and Instagram-worthy. It's about inviting in and breaking bread and somehow, like Paul does with his strangers on a ship, somehow breaking bread and passing it around and giving thanks, he is displaying the message of Christ, displaying the gospel of grace and inclusion, and you belong at the table, and I am in solidarity with you. And I'm here to serve and show love and grace to you who are different than me. Perhaps even an enemy of mine. So my challenge for you this week, you guessed it, one day this week, all right? One day, my, my practical application because we, we don't become like Jesus and become more for others by just learning about Jesus. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's a practice. We become like Jesus. We become more like people of love as we practice what Jesus did. Are you with me right there? Yeah. It's called apprenticeship or discipleship. We do what he did. And so the ask, the practical this week, have somebody over. Maybe it's a stranger, maybe it's a coworker who you just don't know well, maybe it's a neighbor in your building, or maybe it's somebody in this community that you just haven't gotten to know, but bring somebody in. Embody, perform the gospel message in front of them by just breaking bread and serving. And I want you to, as you, as you do this, to imagine somehow Christ, look at this, just handing the baby off. That's like a pro move right there. And I just want to say that was a dad move, right? Like, dad was like, you go, I'll hand him over the rail, or hand her over the rail. <laughs> but to imagine that there in your dinner room, or in your dinner dining table, in your 
coffee table, in your, at your bar on your kitchen, or maybe at a coffee shop somewhere else, or maybe like Jesus, you don't have a home that you can host and you just go to somebody else's home and you host them. But, but there, somehow, you are encountering God and others are encountering God as well. And that you're doing the work of Jesus in this hospitality. Communion brings us to the table of the Lord. And as we prepare to take communion, the bread and the juice, and if you're visiting with us, I want you to know you are welcome to take this communion with us. All are welcome at the table. And so we're gonna take communion, but as we do, I want us to imagine, I know it's hard because it's a little cup of not great flavored juice and a pretty flavorless wafer or whatever that is. But to imagine for a moment that here in this room, as we break bread together, in this, Paul says we are declaring the gospel message through this embodied practice. And then if we can take this into our homes, we can start to see what the early church saw in reconciliation, in walls of hostility being brought down, in transformation of lives, in you encountering God and others encountering God as you do the simple act of inviting to the table as Jesus does for us. Let's pray.